0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 85 with Prescott Perez Fox. Prescott is a brilliantly creative guy, and he had a lot of thoughts to share about the optimal practices associated with making that happen. So you're going to learn, one, great habits that your future self will thank you for, two, how small rituals will help your team power through a project, and three, the classic versus evolutionary versus revolutionary three-part system for generating broad alternatives. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts and links to items mentioned, you can find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F85. And while you're there, take a look around at the cool stuff, including our 10 days to winning at work, free email course that shares some of my best tips and tools and tactics associated with slashing through waste and getting more great work done in a limited amount of time. So Here's a quick story about Prescott. Prescott Perez Fox is a New Jersey-based graphic designer and brand developer with more than 14 years of experience in branding, packaging, graphic design, and web design. Following varied experience working in-house for agencies and as a freelancer, Prescott created his business, Starship Design, to work directly with small business and startup clients. Here's Prescott. Prescott, thanks so much for being here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really looking
0: forward to it. Oh, yes, me too. And I think we're going to have some real fun here. And I want to know, first of all, why did you name your company Starship Design?
1: Oh, goodness. Well, this is actually kind of funny because
0: it stemmed
1: from a comment thread on a blog where we were talking about how to name a design firm. And this is like maybe 10 years ago. And the folks who brought it up were saying that you should name a design firm the way you name a band <laughs> like I don't know, just coming up with weird names because most people do it like a law firm and it's like, you know, Rigby Jones. And I guess that could be a design firm, but it could also be accounting, you know? And they were saying, nah, you got to do it like a band and be like, oh, the Flaming Lips or like something crazy like that. And then people were saying, well, what about Santana? What about the Steve Miller band? And then it was like, what about Jefferson Airplane? And it was like, nah, Jefferson Starship. that's where you go from print design to web design. And Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, Starship is a good name just as a a name for a design firm. And so that's kind of where it came from. But also, I mean, there's a double meaning because it kind of evokes a sense of futurism and a sense of possibility and a sense of uplifting and going somewhere. So I kind of appreciate that double meaning too.
0: Well, I take it too. And it makes me think of Star Trek. And I've known someone who had a hand in doing some design work for, you know, the spaceships and stuff that show up there. And it's really cool. (laughs) Like, I kind of think, oh, do you do starship design for movies and stuff? Then you must be amazing at your job. So only positive associations.
1: Yeah, that's funny. I have a Google alert, actually, and occasionally I'll get something where it's like, oh, you know, so-and-so shows off the new starship design. And it's, you know, the phrase starship design rather than a proper noun.
0: I hear you. Well, that's fun. So another thing I want to talk about has some negative connotations. i to kind of doing some research here. I got a huge kick out of the Your Business Cards sucks piece that you did earlier. And it just cracks me up because it's so bold. And I guess it just makes me think of, you know, in Japan and certain countries where looking reverently at a business card is something that you do. And then you're just like throwing that in the face. So I think I just got to touch there for at least a second. Can you share? Sure. What are some kind of things that make a business card suck versus being great. If we have the potential to make our own business cards, what should be on there versus not be on there?
1: Right, right. Well, I'm going to back up just a second. So the blog that I ran for a number of years was called Your Business Card Sucks. But that Name was really just meant to be kind of inflammatory and I'm inflamed and, and cheeky, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and I never actually in real life said to someone, "Hey, man, your business card <laughs> sucks." Like I'm just not that kind of person. But the idea is that it's just showcasing interesting and unique cards, and it's no longer a site. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm trying to bring it back actually, but it is a Pinterest board, so you can search for that. But anyway, to answer the question, like most people's cards don't suck per se; they're just furiously boring and especially if they're corporate and it's someone else designed it and they just kind of turned up on your desk one day and you know, they have the work fax machine number and like you have to accommodate for the one guy that works out of the Singapore office. So there's like five lines of addresses, you know what I'm saying? And those are the types of things that really suck the life out of a business card. And I think they're great because they're just a little bit of your personality kind of wrapped up in this, it's very bite-sized, kind of object you know what I mean and you can do so much with that format in terms of paper in terms of material in terms of photography or if you're an artist you could put a piece of your artwork on the back you could put a pattern or anything that you do you know I've seen web designers who kind of program their address you know what I'm saying and it's like address class equals work you know what I'm saying that type of thing so there's a lot of fun to have with it so I think they're great.
0: Oh, that is fun. Well, I'm looking forward to getting my business cards designed and created. I chatted earlier with Chris Bailey in episode 40-something. I don't know. we got a lot of episodes now. <laughs> and, and so he had his done at a shop called Elegant Press in Lithuania, which is cool because I am Lithuanian. That's Mikaitis is the name. Okay. Okay. And it has all this kind of cool, very real texture-y stuff that you can really just feel. And so I'm excited to have a business card that doesn't suck printed up by the folks at Elegant Press shortly. Awesome. Now, anyway, let's get into some good stuff. So you talk about habits of highly creative people. And I would love to hear some perspective there in terms of, you know, so this listenership audience, we got all sorts of different folks and some jobs that are very creative and some jobs that feel almost like there's, very minimal creativity and might be nice to get a healthier dose in there. But nonetheless, there comes a time when folks need to generate ideas or concepts or options. So what are some of the habits that you mentioned in terms of getting some of those things up and going and cruising so you're well-equipped to answer the call when it comes?
1: Yeah, okay, goodness, where do I start? Well, first of all, I should say that the origin of that ebook and of that line of thinking anyway is in the conversations I've actually had with creative people with designers and photographers and writers and all these folks that I talked to on my show and so I kind of distilled those conversations to get these 9 habits and some of them are really simple when you say them is things like respect your future self so that has to do with you know saving documents in a neat way and putting things back in their original place and taking the time now to do something that will make your future self sort of easier and i mean In terms of the workplace, that's all sorts of these little things of like, at the end of the day, put away your folders so that the next day you can pick right up where you left off. You know exactly which folder you were using because it's the one in front. And, you know, that type of thing, it's almost at a subliminal level, like outshine your former self, right? Continuous learning, continuous improvement, and the idea that you don't have to take this huge class. You don't have to get five master's degrees, but just become 1% better by constant improvement and constant testing. That's one of them. Find creative distraction is another one. And a lot of folks like to do that with running or some other kind of exercise where you can just zone out and that will allow you to solve a problem that you're not thinking of in that moment. You know, the classic shower thought is a great example. Mm-hmm. And I know for a lot of people, they kind of ponder things in the shower and they get out and they have to write it down and they actually make like waterproof notepads.
0: I totally bought those.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Aqua notes. Don't freak out is one that I'm really trying to master. <laughs> and that's a tough one because I think it's very much tied to your personality. But the idea that. If you're a creative person, if you're an entrepreneurial-minded person, you're going to have a lot of ideas, you're going to have a lot of requests for things, and you could be involved in a lot of different things. So it can really be overwhelming. And it's amazing to me how some people are just so calm in the face of all that insanity. And I'm genuinely in envy of them. And I'm just like, is that a superpower or what? That you just don't have this anxiety the way that I do and the way that some other folks do.
0: Yeah. Let's pause on that one for a moment here because I think when it comes to thinking clearly and being able to generate some good, unique, novel kind of creative things, there's probably some good science behind this too. It's just that I don't know, cortisol or stress tough in your brain and in your blood really does, in my experience, prevent me from coming up with good thoughts and instead of just like, ah, you know, I got to do something immediately now, 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 as opposed to, all right, let's reflect upon which of these several options may be optimal for going forward. So you know, it seems like you have not yet mastered yourself or we're all works in process when it comes to the anxiety piece. But what have you seen in terms of the how to stay calm and collected when it counts? Sure.
1: Well, a lot of people are talking about mindfulness or concentration training or meditation or whatever you like to call it. And that's been a hard habit to install, honestly. And I'm always trying these things. I really should try to get back to it. But that's something that people claim really works. And unfortunately, I think it's a long-term play. You know, you can't really do it for five days and see an effect. You have to kind of commit to it for, you know, half a year at least. That's a big one. I think that balancing your sleep and your diet and your exercise, and it sounds really simple, right? That's like middle school stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think that that plays a big part of it. And then also a certain boldness of just cutting things out of your life, especially if they bring you nothing but stress. And I think a lot of us were conventionally educated and work conventional jobs that we kind of have things that we think everybody does this. I have to put up with this. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. when you actually question it, you could be like, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> There's kind of small acts of rebellion by just cutting things out that that can help you in the long term. just like stay cool, stay centered. So yeah, if that's a work in progress. Definitely.
0: No, that's a great turn of a phrase. Small acts of rebellion. Is that a Prescott original?
1: Oh man. I don't know. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I well, occasionally, I'll come up with something, and I'm like, I like the way that sounds, and I have no idea if anyone said it before, especially if it's a common word, you know what I'm saying? Like, the audacity of hope. I mean, that's Barack Obama's, of course, but, like, someone probably put those words in that order. I read that book, and in the book, he talks about the audacity of hope. It's really the audacity to hope, and it's kind of rebellion through idealistic defiance, right, and then not accepting that things are just stuck the way they are. And I mean, that's a definite analog to the workplace. And especially if you were a large organization, there's so much of this kind of welcome to the the show. You know, this is how it is. And it's like, imagine if, again, these small acts of rebellion, kind of improving 1% at a time can make some real progress.
0: Mm, That's good. So could you share, you know, what are some specific, I guess, small acts of rebellion or things that folks can, often get away with chucking or eliminating and that they don't have to do after all.
1: I'm thinking of the a last a former full-time job where I just didn't check my email on <laughs> on their system, like on Outlook, calendar invites, all that type of thing. I just did not use that, and... If there was some kind of team meeting, I would say, Hey, when's the team meeting? And they would say, That's Thursday at 10. And I'd be like, Okay, cool. And I would use my own system, but I would not go in there and be like, accept changes and, you know, do those type of silly things. That's a small one. You know, same thing with PowerPoint. Like if someone was going to send me this crazy PowerPoint file, I'm just like, Okay, I'm going to print this out and then I'm going to remake the entire thing. And if there's anything that's too much type, that I don't want to copy it over, that means it needs to be rephrased and rewritten altogether. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's not a matter of me typing it. So I just wouldn't use PowerPoint. I would send back a PDF and that was that.
0: All right. And you didn't get any sort of backlash in a serious way from that?
1: Well, not really because I'm a graphic designer. So like when people send me things, they just send me the only thing that they are able to. And they kind of know I'm going to take it apart and do what's best. And especially if it's going to a printer or it's going into some other kind of production. Like they kind of know, I know what's best. It wasn't the type of traditional corporate job where you do give a lot of PowerPoints and that type of thing. Fortunately, that's a kind of a weird culture that I'm glad I've never been brought into.
0: Mm, I hear you. Well, so at the same time though, you do produce a lot of stuff. You get it kind of up and out the door at a healthy rate, and you've talked with a number of guests associated with, you know, workflow and process and how to get things kind of up and humming and cruising. So you are kind of shipping at a healthy rate. So what would you say are some of the key workflow insights you've discovered along the way that could be applicable to folks who are in the corporate environment?
1: Sure. Well, I think one thing that's huge that a lot of folks don't really realize they're doing it or not doing it is creating what I call rituals. And these are simple things. These are kind of acknowledging and celebrating the steps of the process and whatever that process is. And especially if you have a project that has a definitive beginning, middle, end, you can create these rituals and you can get everyone on board. So let me give you an example. Like, let's say you're doing some kind of like back to school campaign, right? It could be a marketing campaign or a kind of fall fashion line. I don't know. When it comes time to start working on it, you know, six months earlier in January, February, There can be a moment where you can say, "Okay, guys, we are now putting this project on the board. And you actually like cut out a piece of paper that says in bold type like fall campaign and can actually put it onto a physical board. And that moment is a little ritual. And you can also contribute multiple things at that same time. So the moment you put it on the board, that also reflects the fact that there's now a folder on the server with that same project name. Or you can also set up in your project management, your invoicing tool, the job number, you know, that type of thing. So you can have multiple rituals that happen at once. And I think that's really important for getting everyone started on the same page. Same thing at the end of a project. You could do a postmortem with a team and you can actually talk about what went well and what you think you can do better next time. Same thing with archiving something, like pulling it down and saying, this is, again, that board, you know, this is done. We've finished it. It's out the door. And just acknowledging it and celebrating it, even if it goes badly, you know, there could be rituals for things that get canceled. And maybe even you have a piece of paper that's like the project tracking sheet. I don't know. I'm making stuff up, but you can actually like rip it in half at a team meeting on Thursday morning. That could be a little bit of a ritual, even though it's sort of celebrating a negative as you like. But those rituals really keep people working together in the same flow. And I think they build character and kind of culture as well.
0: Oh, yes, it's true. And it's fun. And it's something that you can look forward to and appreciate at the same time. Like, you know, we've hit a milestone and when we hit a milestone, we all go out to dinner or drinks or something. And all right, here we are. And that feels good.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, my last job, and this is a positive memory of my last job, that we created a jar in our department. And the jar was like the swear jar, but it wasn't for cursing because we were like sailors up in there. Mm -hmm. But whenever we broke the rules, we had to put a dollar in the jar. And so it became the jar rules. And then we cut out a photo of the rapper jaw rule and put him on the side. So it was like jaw rule. (laughs) And and some of the rules were, let me give you these examples, because these were methods to correct our own interpersonal bad habits. So there were things like accidentally emailing someone at their home address, their home email. That was a dollar. If you brought a computer or a tablet to a meeting, that was a dollar. If you emailed somebody about a project rather than posting in the project management software, that was a dollar, you know, all these type of things. Um, man, I don't remember them all off the top of my head. But you know what? We trained each other pretty good. And after a while, we had to invent new rules. And some of them were not really calling out one individual person, but it was kind of like, OK, I know this happened and I know one person's the mostly guilty of it. And it's all from love. But the result of that was that, you know, you put in your dollar, you put in two, three at a time. And then next thing you know, you got enough to go buy pizza for the whole team.
0: Well, that's fun. And I really dig that kind of principle because it also just kind of gets a lot more positivity out there associated with that. And it was like, dang it, Prescott never posted in the project management software and it's really ticking me off. You know, it's like yeah. we just sort of sidestep all of that. It's like, oh, oops. Yep. Yeah, okay. You're right. Here's a buck. We have a laugh. I've supported the pizza fund and it's also reinforcing good behaviors.
1: Yeah. And some of them too were, like you said, reinforced good behaviors that if you complain without a solution, that's a dollar. And that might have actually been like a $3 penalty, you know, that anytime you observe something that can be fixed, like you should be trying to fix it. You should not just be complaining about it. And for a struggling organization, a nonprofit, a growing team, whatever it is, you definitely need more solutions than complaining.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, so now I'd like to hear some of your take when it comes to if there are some ruts when ideas aren't flowing or you're not in the groove or the zone, just like, uh, ah, one of those days. What are some key ways that you recommend folks kind of find inspiration or do something to shift their state of mind so that they can be more effective?
1: It should be known that I am not superhuman and I suffer from this, are you kidding me? I thought, man, who was it recently? Someone's talking about like the 70% problem that when you get to 70% completion on a project, there's always that slump and everybody's energy just vanishes and everybody, the client, the designer, whoever, you just want it to be done. You just want the result. You're tired of the process. You're tired of the timeline. Man, I know that feeling well. And I think the one way to prevent that, so before we get into the solution, is just preventing it, is to really chop things up into small increments. So that way you can go faster or slower at a certain phase. You can put things on pause. You can celebrate those milestones like we were saying. But that helps to, I think, eliminate some of that 70% problem because 70% of a phase is a little bit different. I like to do the classic things, right? Get away from your environment, like physically, take your computer to a coffee shop, even if you're just checking emails and doing some writing, go walk and take a different direction home. I mean, that's a small thing. But if you change up your environment, you change up what you're seeing, you're also changing how your brain is kind of handling questions and quandaries. That's a good one. I am a big fitness guy, so sometimes I like to push away from my desk and go to kickboxing class and just, you know, beat the crap out of a punching bag. And that always helps the wheels get back to turning. And again, on that walk home, especially after you've had a good workout, you'd be surprised the level of clarity that you can bring to a project again.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. And so, I also got a kick out of researching your stuff. When you start a logo project, you sketch out kind of three different kinds of concepts for folks with a classic version, an evolutionary version, and a revolutionary version. And I don't know why I really like that kind of framework or sense of three, you know, quite distinct options proposals. And, and I would imagine that has some applicability to other times when you're proposing ideas or offering potential solutions or initiatives to any number of things. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think this is a classic framework, right? And whether it's a shortcut, a heuristic, you know, things have different names, but it's kind of like, why start with a completely blank page if you already have some things that are sort of locked in and it doesn't always work. It's not always a formula, but this is a great starting point. So in this case, it's kind of logo design. Or identity generally. I know in advertising there's a whole number of these. I don't have them all memorized off the top of my head, but it's things like celebrity endorsement, competition against the competitor, nostalgia, and you know, these other things. Mud slinging, you know, the classic like propaganda technique. They use them in politics as well. So you can say, oh, this is the classic product as hero ad, and it's the Toyota Highlander, and it's jumping over a mud puddle or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's almost a type of formula. So whatever the brief is for, again, Toyota, for that example, like they could come into a room, they could just have the note cards of it. OK, product as hero, celebrity endorsement. And you have these couple of options right from the start. So that's basically where that came from. Just these templates or these starting points that are made for you. And no matter who's listening, I'm sure your workflow, or your job has these starting points. You just kind of have to think of them, especially if you've done them before. You could probably
0: find patterns in your own work. Well, so now you know, I'm curious, is there anything else you want to make sure you get to put out there in terms of finding creative inspiration, getting some good workflow cruising, staying in the creative zone over longer stretches before we shift gears into the fast faves?
1: Well, one thing that's been interesting is that as I'm an observer in terms of being a blogger, being a curator, whatever you want to call it, when you look with, in the back of your mind saying, okay, I have to find something, you'd be surprised what you can find. You know, and so if I'm reading articles or just looking through magazines or looking on the street, like it's amazing how you always find the thing that you're looking for, as long as you keep it, your awareness of it. So one thing I've found that's helpful is that recently, or I guess for a little more than a year already, I've been doing a weekly link post on my blog. And this is just sometimes as few as three items that I found that week that are relevant to the topic. And just the fact that you're continuously looking for these in the background, you'll find so many more of them. And if you keep track of them, and if you keep putting them out there, you're developing a library for yourself. You're developing resources that you can use when it's time to get busy.
0: Beautiful, thank you. All right, well, now I'd love to hear a little bit about some of your favorite things. Could you start us off by sharing a favorite quote? Yes, this
1: is one, I know it from John Lennon. I'm not sure where he got it from, but he says, in order for the forest to be green, every tree must be green. And this is the idea simply that whatever you're doing, it's part of a larger group, every single individual must also master that thing within himself. So it's about inner peace, but in a teamwork sense, is pretty obvious.
0: Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a piece of research?
1: Yeah, well, I love things that are counterintuitive. And one thing that comes to mind is from the book called The Culture Code. And in it, he talks about how Nestle, in the 70s, tried to sell instant coffee in Japan. And they had been really successful in Europe, in the United States. And they couldn't get the Nescafe coffee brand any traction because Japan had such a tea culture. And so what they did was they switched tactics and they created coffee flavored candy and they sold it to children and planted that seed. And wouldn't you know, 20 something years later, they reintroduced the instant coffee. And now that folks had a taste for it, it became very popular in Japan.
0: Oh, that's long-term thinking. <laughs> I know, that
1: is crazy to me. But I mean, things like that are counterintuitive, right? Like, the unpersistent person would just be like, okay, they don't like coffee, let's get out of here. But someone else had this wacky idea, this counterintuitive idea that let's not sell them coffee, let's sell them candy instead. And next thing you know, they'll take to it. And how about a favorite book? I was actually talking with someone about audiobooks and I always recommend a great audiobook, The Time Traveler's Wife. And they made it into a movie a few years ago. And the movie wasn't bad for what it was. But the audiobook is amazing because there's two principal characters and they switch off perspectives. And so you have two narrators as well. And for anything to do with time travel, it can get confusing. So you want to have those two narrators. You know, if it's a woman, this is Claire's chapter. And if it's a man, it's Henry's chapter. So check out The Time Traveler's Wife.
0: All right. And how about a favorite tool, something that you use often and really boost your effectiveness? Yeah,
1: man, it's hard to choose one. I wrote an article a
0: while ago called
1: Take Back Your Mac, which introduces four free tools to use on the Mac. But the one that's not in that article is Text Expander. Oh, yeah. The Text Expander, yeah, man, on the Mac, it's all but essential. I don't know how it's not built in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's a Windows version equivalent. I forget what it's named. But yeah, I would have to say Text Expander, the ability to hide bits of type behind a snippet and have that short code. And just with a few keystrokes, you just expand out into sometimes paragraphs of text is immensely helpful. And I use it for little things. I use it for my own name. I use it for my email address, my phone number, because those are the things that you type time and time again throughout the day.
0: I like to use it to decline podcast guest pitches. <laughs> yeah. You can put a lot of that in there too. Oh, thank you so much for thinking of us. You know, unfortunately it doesn't seem like we have quite the right fit here, given our focus on it. And then yes, it's exactly. like, as opposed to just, cause I feel kind of rude if I just like completely ignore folks or ever just say, no, you know, it's like, I can give them a little bit of context and then maybe they can come back with, oh, well actually, you know, we also cover, you know, topics A, B and C is like, okay, well now maybe we're in business. Very good. Right. 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 Cool. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that's really been helpful?
1: Yeah, I think I kind of mentioned it though, the ability to constantly be grazing and observing with the idea that I'm either building this link pack on my blog or I'm just looking for something to recommend to others that people are always asking me, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And So I like to keep things in the back of my mind as I operate the internet, especially. So I would say the continuous observing and reporting back has been really useful. And especially over time, because you build this body of work or this body of knowledge that really takes some time to grow.
0: Mm -hmm. And how about, is there a particular maybe resonance nugget or piece that you share in your blog, your podcast, your work that folks really seem to latch on to and nod their heads and retweet and say, oh yeah, Prescott's a genius. He said this.
1: Interesting. A lot of metaphors. I've gotten compliments on my metaphors, which is kind of funny, you know, that the guests will sit there and talk for 10 minutes about different things. I'm like, yeah, we call that shadowing, you know, and just make up a term. <laughs> Apple saucing is one that we came up with.
0: <laughs> what does that mean? I got to know. I got to know. What's applesaucing? apple-saucing? Okay. So <laughs>
1: in the publishing and content industry, whatever you're calling it, that it takes time. You got to plant the seeds. It takes time for the trees to grow. And then when they grow, it takes time to bear fruit. So that's your apple, right? Your blog post, your podcast, whatever it is. But some of the apples will not be so good. So what do you do? You create applesauce or you create apple butter or you create apple flavored fig newtons or you save the seeds and try to plant more trees. So it's like continually using the byproducts or the second derivative of your original content to republish and to appeal to someone else. So in our example, we're podcasters, maybe the transcript can be put together in some kind of compendium and folks that like to read rather than listen might appreciate that.
0: Oh, that's fun. That's fun, applesauce. That reminds me of an Onion article. It's like a piece of jargon going around the office. Platforming has gotta be bad news for all of us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Onion is so great. Apple saucing, platforming. I love it. Okay, cool. So now can you share, what would you say is the best way to find you? Folks want to see what you're up to, learn more. Where would you point them to?
1: Yeah, definitely busycreator.com. That's the website for my podcast and blog. And all my social media links are there as well as a contact form. And I would love to hear from anyone listening.
0: Oh, very good. And would you say, do you have a final parting challenge or call to action? Something that you'd leave folks with who are seeking to be more awesome at their jobs?
1: Yeah. And this usually isn't in the job context, but I'd like to say it, that there's a lot of folks giving advice, but not that many giving help. So if you can give help to someone, I think it will be returned many times over to you. So see what you can do about actually helping someone, not just giving them advice.
0: Mm, Beautiful. Okay. Well, Prescott, thanks so much. This has been a real treat. Some interesting stuff. I'm going to be chewing on and applying and applesaucing. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish you tons of luck with the busy creator and all you're up to here. Absolutely, man. Thanks a lot. A lot of folks give it advice and talking indeed and fewer who help. That's a pretty cool distinction there to take that extra time to be super helpful and folks can really notice and appreciate that. And everybody wins as a result. So Hope you found that and other pieces there inspirational. Again, if you want to check out the transcript and links and such, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep85. And I would recommend you punch the subscribe button if you haven't already because our next guest, Kwame Christian, is so much fun. He's talking about negotiation. He talks about how he saved a bunch of money on his car and other ways of being persuasive day in, day out. And he's a really engaging, funny guy. So I think you're going to get a kick out of that one. So I hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.